0: Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study. World religions, cults, and the occult. Not Bobby, but John. It's number thirteen. See, I gave you the bigger letters this time. I'm working it. But Bobby, you get the tagline. It's- that's right, the untold history of the charismatic movement. We've already seen it as everybody continues to file in here with the disclaimer. I'm not saying everybody that's a charismatic or goes to a charismatic church isn't involved in the occult or occultish. But because there's so much of that going on, we've got to deal with it. All right. We saw that the uh, movement is nothing new. They dealt with that back in the early church. It's just rehashed today. The gibberish, not the genuine gift of speaking in known languages, i.e. tongues, that's nothing new. That's been going on for a long time. Uh, not from the church, though, Uh, from the occult and mystery religions, etc. We dealt with a whole big section on the spiritual gifts because that's the rub. You and I would say that not all are in function today, not because we're resisting the Spirit of God in these last days, this new movement, this new wave. No. No. Because what the scripture says, based on the context, etc., and the purpose of the particular gifts as well. They would say, no, they're all in function. That's the difference. Now we're finally into the aberrant behavior. This is the behavior that basically the charismatic community would have you and I say not only uh, is somehow Christian, but you and I, because we don't partake in it, we're looked down upon as a Christian. But we're seeing there is no biblical basis for it. We've already seen this uh, behavior called slaying in the spirit. That was uh, the study two times before. And last time for you here we saw the behavior called drunk in the spirit or what's called holy laughter. Okay. And if you recall this drunk in the spirit, holy laughter thing was where supposedly this is a spiritual thing going on that you and I need to partake in. Uh, if we're going to demonstrate our spiritual maturity in these last days and apparently make difference for Christ. Okay, but anyway, they actually literally walk around, as you saw the video clips, walk around acting like they're drunk, they're slurring their words, they have to have people holding them up and things of that nature, and, and it's not just laughing, it's just uncontrollable laughter, jumping up out of their seats, falling on the ground, and so, and again, remember what the phrase was? We saw there was what? No biblical basis for that whatsoever, shocker. Okay, but what we saw is they, t- they take Christianese, we're going to see it again tonight, they take Christianese and they slap it on behavior and somehow that makes it Christian, right? We saw that again. It's in the spirit, okay, Dr- slay in the spirit, drunk it in the spirit. It's not just laughter, it's holy laughter. Well, I guess that makes it holy. I guess that makes it from, good. no, you can slap a label on it all you want, okay, that doesn't make it good, right? You could say fried chicken, but it's still evil, right? You could say boiled chicken, it's still evil right? Do whatever you want with it. Okay. It's still evil. Fry it, cook it, slap it, chap it, whatever you want to do. But anyway, but seriously, he's like, what? And that's what they do. It's like, well, it's, it's in the spirit. So, well, and again, now this is what we're going to get to tonight. Okay. First of all, we saw that this drunk in the spirit, by the way, drunk is what? Drunkenness is a sin. And not only is there no biblical basis for that. Okay. But uh, why would God have us emulate a behavior that he calls sin? Doesn't make sense. Okay. And that's what we saw. Okay. Do we have holy adultery? Do we have thievery in the spirit? No. Right? Why would you want to emulate a, a sin, drunkenness in the spirit? Okay, but God doesn't ask us to do it, it's not. Now, what I want to answer tonight before we get to this third one, this third aberrant behavior, and we still got several on the list to go, uh, is, okay, to answer hopefully this question. You've been hearing me say this, and I want, I want to deal with a whole study with this third option, because you're going like, well, this, these people are doing it. There's no biblical basis for it. It's certainly not from God. They want to make it sound like Christian within the spirit and holy and somehow it makes it right and it doesn't. What is it? Because they're doing it. Well, again, you've heard me three different things. I think a lot of it is chicanery. It's a bunch of baloney. Okay, stage show, if you will. Uh, however, I do think a lot of it's learned behavior. I might even add this word, uh, if you will, Christian peer pressure, right? You better do it. You don't want to look like a fool. Everybody else is falling down. So I think a lot of that, I really do. I think a lot of it is that. Okay, however, you always invariably have those people, no, you don't understand, Ron. You don't, you know, read, stop looking at me like that. You weren't there because I'm serious, man. I, I felt the alligator tears, man. That was real. I mean, I, I literally had this jolt. And, and it's just, you can't tell me that was baloney. That was make-believe. Nobody touched me and I fell backwards and all that stuff. I felt something, quote, spiritually. That's the one I want to deal with tonight before we move on. Because that always, you can bring out, it's not biblical, the Bible doesn't say it, and it's a bunch of baloney or learned behavior and say, oh, yeah, but. Okay, so we're going to deal with the yeah, but tonight, okay? Now, and you heard me say, the last couple of studies, I'm not saying you didn't have a spiritual experience. It doesn't mean it's from the Spirit of God. I'm not saying you didn't feel something. I'm not saying you didn't have a, quote, spiritual encounter. It doesn't mean it's from the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, what a lot of researchers, myself included, taking a look at this, knowing the occult and having come out of, myself, New Age and Hinduism, Eastern mysticism, most of us would say that what you're dealing with, if there is a spirit involved, first of all, it ain't the spirit of God. So what's your only other alternative? It's something satanic. And really what it is, it's a, what's in the Hinduism is called the Kundalini spirit. Okay. And that's what our whole study is going to be on tonight. The Kundalini spirit. Okay. Now let's take a look at this. Kundalini, of course, that word means coiled one. Well, what usually is in a coil? snakes, okay, because we're dealing with a serpent deity, which is not good, okay. Uh, Hinduism refers to this as a form of, quote, primal energy, or again, what they call Shakti. Remember that with the Shakti pot? That's when the guru takes the energy, the Shakti, and puts his hand on your head, just like they do, okay, and transfers that energy uh, to the person. This is straight out of Hinduism. Okay, they believe that this kundalini is coiled... Okay, at the base of the spine, right? And that when this thing becomes activated, right, it moves up the body through what's called the chakras. How many of you guys have heard of that? If you ever watch Oprah, Wan Kenobi, okay, or, or those, they're big on this because it's, it's new age. New age, a lot of new age, as we saw in our 12-week study, okay, is a lot of it is based out of Hinduism, okay? But basically, it leads to the chakras. So the chakras, they believe, are the different, it starts with the kundalini at the base. We'll get into this in a second. I'll show you. Gets to the base, okay, towards the spine, and then works in these different power points, supposedly, called chakras, okay, uh, that travel through the body. Now, the belief is that this kundalini is supposed to be a, quote, divine force. So there is a spirit behind it, but it's not from God, okay? And again, it's at the base of the spine. It needs to be awakened, and once you awaken this thing, again, it uncoils, and it goes through your body, and it pops out your head. And that's when you, quote, get to have mystical experiences, okay? But uh, l- let me show you basically a picture. As you can see here, this is basically with your chakras, right? But it starts at the base there, as you can see, that's supposed to where the kundalini works up through that center channel with the chakras. They call that the nadi, the whole channel, okay? But the ultimate goal is it's got to work its way up. It's got to uncoil and like a snake and it's, uh, you know, a spiritual energy, and it's going to pop out your head. It's going to elevate, you guys probably heard this term, the third eye right? It's Hinduism, right? And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to illuminate, quote, the third eye. And at that point, man, you've got all kinds of mysticism, you've got experiences, you've got visions, all that stuff. And it has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. This is straight out carbon copy, man, from Hinduism. Okay, In fact, let me let them explain to you what kundalini is and what it will do to a person. Let's take a look.
1: The kundalini process represents a higher consciousness in mankind. Kundalini is the name of a dormant potential spiritual energy force in all humans, and it is situated at the root of the spinal column. In the masculine body it is in the perineum, between the urinary and excretory organs. In the female body its location is at the root of the uterus, in the cervix. To awaken kundalini you must prepare yourself through many challenging life experiences, or long intense yogic techniques such as asanas, pranayama, kriya yoga and meditation. Then. When you are able to force your prana into the seat of kundalini, the energy wakes up and makes its way through the central nervous canal, to the brain. This process will change a person's reality, allowing them to be free from superstition and social conditioning. As kundalini ascends, it passes through each of the chakras which are interconnected with the different silent areas of the brain. With the awakening of kundalini there is an explosion in the brain as the dormant or sleeping areas start blossoming like flowers. In the traditional descriptions of kundalini awakening, it is said that kundalini resides in the form of a coiled snake at the base of our spine, and when the snake awakens it uncoils, and shoots up through center of the spinal cord, opening the other chakras as it goes. These chakras can be stimulated by physical touch, but one must be aware of their inner energy, and focus on this intensely before the chakras can be opened, and the process will bring them unconditional love for all life in the universe. With the awakening of kundalini, not only visions of God take place, there is dawning of creative intelligence and an awakening of supermental faculties. By activating kundalini you may become anything in life.
0: Ooh, what was that last statement?
1: You can become anything you want. What, what does that sound like? Genesis 3, the serpent came
0: to Eve and what was the lie? You will, don't listen to God, do it this way, you will be like God, right? Very interesting there. But again, this is what basically it is, that once this happens, you have this uh, encounter, you uh, awaken this, and then bang, you have these mystical, even to use their words, right? Sounds like our words, or at least the one word. uh, You'll have visions of what? God. Exactly. But what God is it? Who's God? Is it really from God? Don't think so. It's Hinduism, okay? Now, the whole point is this. So that's the kundalini spirit, okay? Now what we're going to focus on, and I want to show you that you got carbon copy. You basically, in a nutshell, and I'm going to demonstrate it to you, you got this kundalini spirit and all these experiences. you got the charismatic movement with all these aberrant experiences that they say, basically, it's carbon copy. I'm going to demonstrate it to you. And all they've done, the charismatic movement, knowingly or unknowingly, they've just changed the names. They've changed the Hindu names, put some Christianese on it, and somehow this is what you and I need to be doing carbon copy straight across we'll demonstrate that tonight but the issue of the kundalini spirit okay so that's their theory it's there and this is what can happen well the challenge is is they they say well how does that happen and basically what it's called is a kundalini awakening right you have to awaken it's there the potentiality there they say but it ain't gonna do you no good until you quote awaken it okay well that's the question well how does that happen we'll pay attention to how Hinduism teaches you awaken the spirit so you can have all these visions and experiences and ecstasy. Remember, I was oh, I just I love everybody in the universe. You know? you know, all that stuff. Okay, but anyway. Right? <clears throat> Kundalini awakens may happen through a variety of methods. Now, pay attention to the methods, right? How do you awaken this serpent thing and get all these experiences? Many systems of yoga. Ooh, that's interesting. We'll get into that again. But yoga, you can do it, right? Because yoga, the different postures, yoga means to yoke. You're yoking with the Hindu deities, and through these physical postures that you're emulating, you're getting yourself into an altered state of consciousness. That's one way to awaken. They teach the Kundalini uh, spirit, and then it takes off, pops out through your head, so to speak. Right? Uh, meditation. Right? Breathing exercises. Right? Uh, the chanting of the mantras. What's that? And that's a phraseology that you repeat over and over and over and over until it literally becomes mindless. Remember the Hari Krishnas? And they're repeated over and over. Hare Krishna. I'm not going to repeat it. It's blasphemous. But it, over and over again. Right. Because why? Because whether it's meditation, whether it's breathing, whether it's repeating a phrase over and over again, uh, and th- a yoga, physical movement, repetitively, nonstop, those are all techniques that will get you into an altered state of consciousness. That's how you get to unlock, they teach you, this kundalini awakening, right? It's there. But it ain't going to happen until you get into this altered state of consciousness, right? Now, also, just again, another technique, these usually take some time, right? You got to meditate for a long time. You got to repeat that mantra for a long time, right? You got to go through all the yoga postures and stuff for a long time, right? But eventually, you can get there and unlock this kundalini spirit, right? Now, there's another way, we saw this before, is it's called, again, uh, with the guru, the Hindu guru can place his hand on you, on your forehead, and he could transfer just like that the Kundalini awakening. It's called the Shakti Pot, right? Is what they do. So that's kind of like, if you will, we saw before. It's like the shortcut, right? So if you don't want to spend all that time trying to get an altered state of consciousness yourself to unlock the snake, okay, go to the guru and he puts his hand on you, boom, and the Kundalini awakens just like that. Now again, what's this starting to sound like, folks? I'm just this is straight out of Hinduism. I'm just going to hit. The, I'm telling you, the terminology has changed. That's all it is. And we're being doomed. Now, here are, and this is secular resources, right? This is Hinduism. Here are what they report that when a person experiences an unlocking of the Kundalini, right? Now, if I didn't tell you what I'm about to preach you'd think I'm reading off these people that are saying in the charismatic church that we're missing out on. But this is what they say. Here's what will happen. You will have enlightenment, bliss, feelings of infinite love, quote, universal connectivity, euphoria, energy rushes or feelings of electricity circulating through the body, involuntary jerks, tremors, shaking, itching, tingling, crawling sensations, especially in the arms and legs, intense heat, visions, sounds. In fact, if you go to some of those, I don't recommend, some of those uh, uh, so-called revivals, healing revivals, that's typically what they'll say. Oh, man, my hands are hot. That must be the spirit of God here to heal people. And what? God can heal people. We saw that before. But it's just interesting that intense heat, sweating the palms of the hand That's happened when the kundalini gets awakened. Okay? Uh, Visions, sounds, trance-like state, altered states of consciousness. Okay? So again, if I didn't tell you that was kundalini, I read through that list, what would you think? Oh, that's a Benny Hinn crusade. Yeah, That's why you pay your big bucks to go there, to get this experience. No, that's, that's the Hinduism. When you unlock that spirit. Because again, I'm not saying it's all chicanery. I think a lot of it is. I'm not saying it's all just peer pressure and learned behavior because I think that's the bulk of it, what it is. But I do think that some people are feeling something. But it doesn't mean it's the Spirit of God. I think you're dealing with something like this. Okay? And you're being duped, okay? Is the big issue. But what they also don't tell you, and this, of course, typically isn't reported in the charismatic community because they experience these things too, not everybody has a good experience. Even at these so called revival meetings. Some of these people literally begin to lose their mind when they start, and I'm talking about. People who are professing Christians go into these so-called revival meetings. But according to Hinduism, here's some of the negative things that come along with this package. Okay? Quote, uh, change in voice.
1: Well, that's weird.
0: What does that sound like? Sounds like a possession aspect, right? Change in breathing. Diminished control over sexual desire. Emotional upheaval. Unwanted or repressed feelings or thoughts. Headache, migraine, pressure inside the skull, pains in different areas of the body, disrupted sleep pattern, uh, insomnia, or the reverse, oversleeping. And I had to push this one here. And it's on their list. I'm not making it up. Vegetarianism or veganism? That's interesting. I kind of thought, well, why would that be pushed? Right. Well, back when, again, as you guys know my testimony, we talked about this in Hinduism, in Buddhism, in the New Age studies that we already went through. Right. And if, you, if you're watching online, you haven't checked those out, go back to the website, get them or get get the new app. Did you guys know the new apps out? Yeah. yeah. Get the new app. Just type in. That's right. Billy Crone. That's right. Try to spell it correctly. I know it's rough. Right. Billy Crone and Android, Apple devices. It's out and have fun. But you can get it on the app, too. Right. But anyway, so my point is we already dealt with that. But uh, when I was in new age, there was food restriction. That, another way to get into an altered state of consciousness to kind of speed things up you need to have basically a vegetarian diet. Now, if somebody wants to eat veggies the rest of their life, more power to you, I'll I'll have your bacon. Thank you very much. That's more for me. Okay, but but the scripture says what? God says you can eat meat. So people, if you want to do that, if that's your choice, okay, go for it. But the moment you say that I'm doing something sinful wrong, you just call God a liar. So again, here you're dealing with something that I believe is satanic, and then of all things for you to all of a sudden have this desire, I need to say you can... Not eat meat, only eat veggies, which is calling the God a liar. And I just thought that was just, that's just a little side detour there. Okay. But, anyway, but notice the negative things that you're having. It's not all good. Okay. But I came across this video clip. This is a Hindu girl. Pay attention because her accent is very thick. But you can listen to her describe some of the negative effects when she unlocked, through these different methods, the kundalini spirit in her. And some deities showed up. Watch this.
2: Hello friends, my name is Harshika and my today topic is Danger in Kundalini Awakening. I shared my own personal experience. When my Kundalini start rising, I can't sleep two months. Whenever I go to sleep, I, uh, I just wake up within, within 10 or 15 minutes. I closed my eyes and I just saw some uh, negative energy attacks on me. When my awakening process started, I just seeing all types of negative identities in front of my eyes. I just saw a black shadows, ghosts, demons, lights. And this is a, uh, so much scary part of your spiritual journey. There is a lots of reason why this negative attacks happening on humans, why people get possessed. Lots of reason. These are those uh, those type of creatures who are dead. But they still want life. They still having some unsatisfied desires. They look like so clouded. Fog like appearance, they can enter anyone, in animal, in human, anyone. And the fourth type of ghost is Kalana, the black serpent. This is a serpent, mostly attacks on those people who just start awakening their spiritual process. These, this is, uh, dem- uh, this is witchcraft, and black serpent are not attacking on normal humans. They only attacks on spiritual practitioner.
0: They only attack the spiritual practitioner. What she's saying? They only attack those who do this, who unlock the kundalini spirit. Right? Notice it's not always euphoria. It's not always wow! This amazing vision. I just love the universe. Right, And those are her pictures, not mine. Overlaying it. That's the picture she picked. That looks like demonic stuff. And she even admitted that it opens up kind of like witchcraft stuff. That's straight from the Hindu. I'm not making this up. Right, That's what she said. In fact, they said this. Listen to this. The awakening may cause, this is a direct quote, may cause spiritual distress and a quote, total breakdown resulting in a massive life crisis. Yeah, let's all get together. Some people, quote, may lose jobs and relationships. Others experience difficult emotions. Yeah, if that's showing up, it's going to cause that. And that's what demons do. And I kid you not, this is, I wish I could rip the page out, but this is from uh, a Gaia. I believe it's a new age source. Okay. They have eight signs of a kundalini awakening. How did you know when you made it through? Right? Number one on their list. I'm not joking. joking. It says this, quote, quote, things are falling apart and you may have a nervous breakdown. What? Now, with all due respect, I'm not saying everyone, but a lot of the charismatic community, when they start getting into this really aberrant behavior, how's their mental state? Kind of gets out there, man. Okay? But again, we're not talking that. We're just talking straight Hinduism. It's starting to be an interesting parallel. Parallel. One Christian woman, she describes her pre-Christian experience. Obviously, before she was saved, she got involved in, in this stuff uh, you know, to try to get into an altered state of consciousness, meditation, and all that stuff to unlock the kundalini. She says, mantra meditation is so very seductive because it generates a very powerful, seemingly supernatural experience that can make one feel as if they are actually encountering, her words, God. She said, the first meditation I ever did was at age 20. It left me utterly convinced that I experienced, quote, the presence of God. He's not even a Christian at that point. In hindsight, I believe that this encounter was truly supernatural. The problem is, it wasn't from God. What's the Bible say? She says, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Doesn't always show up as a giant boogeyman, right? So she says, well, are you serious? Satan would actually pretend to be God, Or right? She says, of course. She goes, in fact, I wonder how many times he tricks people into thinking they're, quote, encountering God, okay, giving them, quote, an experience, and it's all designed to turn them away from God. The spiritual experience achieved through this type of meditation and this stuff we're talking about is undeniably real. Again, there's, you're going to have a spiritual experience. But it's not from God. Satan uses this to lead people away from God. She says, unfortunately, many Christians believe that Satan and his minions are only involved in Ouija boards and spirit mediums. And they are. And she says, of course they are. But she goes on and says this, it's inside the church where I think he does his best work because it's in these so-called safe confines. He'll, he's not here. How could he be here? It's inside these, quote, safe confines of the church that he deceives people through false doctrine. He tempts them with experiences, personal revelations, and so-called secret knowledge. He doesn't show up as the visible boogeyman and pew number nine. He shows up by promoting falsehood, leading people away from God. Interesting. In the church. And again, I believe that this is exactly uh, what's going on. Because this is the core, the premise of the charismatic movement. It's not about going into all the worlds, right? Matthew 28, what's the Great Commission say? Go into all the world and make people have goosebumps. No, go into all the world and make people uh, act like they're drunk. No, go into all the world and have people fall over in a trance-like state for hopefully a long time. No, go into all the world and have people roll around and do all this weird stuff. Involuntary... Go into all the world, Jesus says, and make what? Disciples. Disciplined learners. Learners of what? Learners of God's word. Why? Because when you know God's word, you can't be fooled. In fact, that's why God says, don't trust everything that comes along and says it's the spirit of God. You need to put it to the test. Open your Bibles to 1 John, right? 1 John chapter 4. Let's take a look there, right? Because that's, again, the premise that, oh, no, this is the spirit of God. And that when you and I begin to test that, when we question that, when we ask questions about it, we're like, How, you just don't know what you're talking about. Well, God says, no, you need to test that. Because not every spirit is truly the spirit of God. And my premise is, much of this behavior, I think, if you are experiencing something spiritual, and ain't God. We know that biblically. It's a kundalini spirit. This is warmed over Hinduism, man. You're being duped. But 1 John chapter 4, uh, let's just read verse 1 through 3. It says, dear friends, do not what? Believe every what? Spirit, so do we have the right to question this behavior? Of course. God commands us to. In fact, he says to what? Agree with it. Otherwise, you are a, a person of old, funny, you're a fundamentalist. You're you get the spirit of religiosity is all over you. How dare? He says, no, test it. Why? Because there's an enemy out there who's to dupe you. That's what he says. So put the thing to the test. Test the spirits. Why? To see whether or not they're from God, which presupposes, guess what? Some of them are not, right? Because many false prophets, how many? Many have gone out in the world. That's what Satan does to deceive people. This is how you can realize, they've gone out in the world. This is how you can realize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh is from God. That's sound biblical doctrine. Where do you find out that Jesus is God? How do you know that that's a true statement? In the word of God. So anybody who, you know, is, uh, their belief is according to the word of God. Okay, that's, it's from God. But he says, what's to the contrary? Every spirit that what? Okay, that does not acknowledge. In, in other words, you can't find it in the scripture. It's what? That's not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, i.e. the opposer of Christ, that which opposes Christ, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. So God says, of course, we, by all means, you better test the spirits because Satan's out there. He's already out in the world, right? And he knows that he's been duped. He's headed for the lake of fire. He's the big giant loser. He's the ultimate loser, the big loser, right? Okay, And, uh, and so guess what? So he's so evil, he's seen how many people he can take down with him to heaven, right? So what's he do? He can't change the fact that there is a way out of this mess through Jesus Christ. So what's he do? He tries to cloud it. He tries to get people away from this book, the one and only book on the planet that tells you the truth that will set you free, that Jesus Christ and his work on the cross is how you get out of this mess. How do you become a child of God and cease to be a child of the devil? And how you're headed to heaven and not to hell? It's right here. So Satan can't take away what Jesus did. Praise God. So what's he do? Get away from this book. And the whole premise, this is what's very sad with much of the charismatic movement, is it's not about becoming a serious disciple. Go out and make disciples. Becoming a learner of God's word. Why? Because when you know God's word, nobody can deceive you. You can't have the wool pulled over your eyes. You can test the spirit and say, uh-uh, that ain't from God. That doesn't line up with the word. That's from Satan. And you can say it with confidence. Not because you're being a religious bigot in the last days resisting the spirit of God. No, because God says so. And because he warned me in advance 2,000 years ago, this kind of stuff would happen in the church and I need to be on the lookout. I've got to have my nose in that book. But that's not the premise. The premise when you go to much of a charismatic service is super light on the Bible, if you even get that, but it's all about the show. It's all about experience. Now you can't say that because that sounds really vain and unspiritual. So typically what's it? It's the signs and wonders movement. That sounds great, doesn't it? Well, that's all it is. All the signs and wonders movement is basically... What I see is a distraction from becoming a disciple. How about the incredible discipleship movement? Well, hey, that sounds like the Bible, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. But that's not what it is. Signs and wonders movement basically means it's all about experience, man. Give me an experience. I came last week. I had some goosebumps. Okay, I'm coming this week. You better put goosebumps on top of my goosebumps, right? Come back. Uh, Oh, if that wasn't enough, we're going to call some special speakers in who've got a special anointing that only they got which is completely unbiblical, right? And then they're going to really give you some goosebumps. You might even start shaking. You might, it's all, what? You're not coming to learn the word. See, every day that you're not in the word is every day you're not becoming a disciple, which puts you in a position of, I'm not saying you're not even saved, but you can be fooled. When you become a disciple, nobody can pull a wool You're over your eyes, okay? Anyway, so that's what I really think is going on there with the so-called signs and wonders movement. Now, again, it's not just the signs and wonders movement, right? What goes with that is it's all about experience. And here's the game. You need to demonstrate how spiritual you really are. Not by how much of the scripture you know, and again, you've heard me say this, is even us as an evangelical Protestant, Oh. Get on this soapbox again. I don't care how much of this you know. I want to see how much of it comes out of your life. Because a mark of Christian maturity isn't biblical knowledge. Anybody can memorize facts and figures, even from the Bible. And I've seen some, pe- some of the nastiest with all the... I'm not even going to say that one. I've seen some of the nastiest people in the church. Man, they can quote scripture like you wouldn't believe. But their heart is wicked. And they're mean. So it ain't just knowing the Bible. Yes, you want to know the Bible but it's all about application. And the test of maturity isn't just, what's Paul say? Knowledge puffs up, but love, the application of that knowledge, builds up. And the test of your Christian maturity isn't how many of these verses you can quote. It's, do you look like, act like, speak like, behave, and treat people like Jesus? Now that's maturity. Combined with what? With the reading of the word. Okay? But that's not what's going on, again, in the charismatic movement. If you want to demonstrate your maturity, it's not that. You gotta let it all hang out, man. You gotta get outside the box. In fact, that's, that's often a phrase that they you use. You're not trying to put God in a box, are you? <laughs> you said he's putting him in a box? But basically, that's a code word, I would say, in my thinking, that you gotta really let it hang out. You know, I mean, you, you can't just sing, you gotta really sing. All right? You can't just, you know, for us, it's, it's scary to even, like, really? could we raise our hand <laughs> it's not illegal it's okay right i'm not saying this to boast, but i'm usually in the back there and there's times and there's no formula i feel led. Like i'm going to raise my hands to the lord praise god i'm having a great time worshiping jesus through music right that's the purpose of it. that's okay it's not illegal to clap did you know that although i do wonder if we're ever going to clap on time that's a whole nother whole nother issue Right? It's not illegal. You and I'm not against emotion. I I, I think I, oftentimes I preach with passion. Emotion's not bad. Many times in my personal time with the Lord, there's emotion. I'm not against I'm not anti-emotion, right? Right? But it's not but that that's not what we're dealing with here. If you're gonna demonstrate your maturity, you can't just raise your hands. You got we gotta, gotta sway. And you gotta keep it up, and then you gotta start jumping. And then you gotta start screaming. And I'm not talking little screams. I'm whoa. Because that, now that, now you're mature. And we see. excuse no, you're drawing attention to yourself, number one. But here's, let's go back to all that. Okay, but what people don't realize, see, because that's encouraged. Like, look at that brother. I mean, I, I'm still trying to work on my left hand. But they're over there doing all this weird stuff. They must be mature. Really? Now, see, the danger of this is, That particular behavior that's celebrated as mature behavior, again, this has nothing to do with becoming a disciple, sad, is it actually could be something that's akin to what we just talked about that will get you into an altered state of consciousness, right? Now, this is even from psychology today, which is not a Christian source. But they admit there's different ways to get yourself into an altered state of consciousness. And again, when you get into an altered state of consciousness, what pops out? Might be a spirit. Doesn't mean it's the spirit of God. Could be the kundalini thing, right? Uh, They say altered states of consciousness, how does that happen? Okay, various mental states. It could be through a, a hallucination, a trance, dream states, hypnosis, meditation. And once again, they even admit, quote, a yoga class. Right? There's different ways to get into and altered state of consciousness. In fact, we also talked about this before. There's different ways that you can do that. You could also, one of the classic ways you can do that is through drugs. Drugs are not just taking a physical trip. You've heard me say this blue in the face. Been there, done that, which I wouldn't have the t-shirt. Drugs are one of the quickest ways, if you will, like a shocky Pop. You want instant spiritual experience? Take drugs. Now you're thinking, hey, this is great. No, you're opening up spiritual doors you don't want to mess with. The occult does this. Uh, the, the, even the American Indians, what are they, mescaline, peyote, why do you think they were doing that? Why would the shamanisms always ingest drugs? Because it puts them into a spiritual state and they have these visions. Oh, the white buffalo appeared. And, right? It's spiritual. So drugs are one way you can do that. Again, hypnotism, repetitive movement, Right, you just keep moving and physically you're going to get into an altered state repetitive speech we saw again with the Hare Krishnas again with yoga breathing exercises meditation you throw all that together you're going to get into an altered state of consciousness now again we saw this I think in our third study in this we're in part 13 I believe tonight so 10 studies ago I shared this with you, but now in this context with the Kundalini Spirit, let's take a look at the ways that the Hindus, the Gurus, admit they get their disciples into an altered state of consciousness to unlock this Kundalini Spirit. You're going to see it's a combination of this repetitive movement, up and down, okay, with that combined with, I'll get to this in a second, music. Watch this.
1: During these uh, sessions, it's a very strange environment. people speak in tongues, they yell and they scream, they talk in foreign languages. It's like a madhouse and it's real crazy. Everyone bouncing around on foam pads flying up in the air.
3: Rajneesh is one of India's most controversial gurus, largely because of his endorsement of shocking sexual practices as a prerequisite for salvation. His brand of yoga called dynamic meditation is a new-age combination of Hinduism and psychotherapies. This exercise involving rigorous breathing and hyperventilation is designed to arouse the serpent force called kundalini, which the gurus believe lies coiled at the base of the spine.
4: The next phase, the screaming phase of dynamic meditation, feels like when you finally had an opportunity to throw a tantrum when you were a little kid. By the time you get to the third phase of jumping up and down and yelling who, you're hardly there at all. And so it's pretty hard to remember what happens when you're there. I guess the closest thing I can associate it with is mindlessness. You get to a place where your mind actually leaves your body. Your body's just jumping up and down, and your voice from your gut is yelling, who, and you're not doing it anymore. You become one with this whole energy. The next phase in dynamic is the quiet space. Someone yells, stop, and you've just been doing 30 minutes of intense catharsis. And what happens after being in such incredibly intense movement for so long is just a feeling of peacefulness and stillness. My mind actually stops, and I feel a oneness with the whole universe.
5: Interesting.
0: All right, so let's once again take a look at those parallels, what we just saw. These are different ways that the Hindus were to awaken and get an altered state of consciousness to awaken the kundalini spirit. Let's take a look at what they do. First of all, repetitive movement. And it was all combined with music, right? And over an extended period of time, that was stage one, right? You go to some church services, people are repeatedly running around, jumping up and down, swaying back and forth to the beat of so-called worship music, right? Nothing wrong with worshiping Jesus, but what's going on here? Is, as one guy, so you're going to see in a video a second, is it really worship to Jesus or worship of worship music? But again, you keep this up, this movement, you're going to have a spiritual experience. That means from God. Hindu's been doing this for a long time. Right? Second phase, they were asked to repeat forth a repetitive phrase or mantra over and over again until it literally became mindless. Right? You look at some of these same services in the so-called church and they speak forth a repetitive phrase or so-called unknown language over and over and over and over and it becomes mindless. Exact same thing. Also, the Hindus, they shouted repeatedly over and over again, releasing themselves from reality. Right? Some churches, they encourage, you need to now shout, yell, scream over and over again. Let it all hang out, man. Sh- d- demonstrate your maturity. How wonderful over and over, right? And then the final phase, of course, they said all of a sudden, a ceasing of all activity in order to feel a connection with the universe of the spirit, right? Exactly. And again, after a prolonged period, this so-called worship atmosphere, church services, they got this repetitive movement, repetitive speaking, repetitive shouting, jumping up and down nonstop, going on for a good half hour, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour. And then all of a sudden, what invariably does the guy on the stage say, (gasps) shh, The Holy Spirit is here. And the people go, oh. And you're going to feel something at that point. It doesn't mean it's the Spirit of God. In fact, notice the key thing. All of this is combined with what? Music. Okay? Been sitting on this clip for a while. But these are former rock musicians. Okay? And they admit that music can not only uh, manipulate a person's emotions... But you could use it in a formulaic way to bring about whatever emotion you want, whether it be rage, whether it be tears, right? And music also has the power to get you into an altered state of consciousness. And then, of course, you combine it with that, man, that's pretty powerful manipulation. But here's what they say, and here's what they also say, we're finding very strange parallel with the way we used to manipulate the concert venues, audiences around the world,
6: and how it's coming into the church. Watch this. Everyone who has been to a charismatic crusade knows that music dominates the proceedings. Few unfortunately realize why, for it is the music that is the source of the miraculous power, not the Holy Spirit. If the secular music world were to advertise their concerts as worship services instead of concerts, people would be insulted. Many would rightly ask the question, worshipping who? True biblical worship, of course, is devotion to God in all things. Charismatic worship is merely the worship of worship. To understand the effects of music more clearly, I spoke to two top professional musicians. Wurzel was lead guitarist with heavy metal group Motorhead, who were for 12 years chart toppers across the world. I also spoke to Rudy Dobson, a top session keyboard player who has performed with some of the biggest bands and musical artists in the world including the Bangles, Magnum, Billy Joel, The Truth, Foreigner, Paul Simon, Nick Kershaw, and the Bee Gees. Now a believer himself, Rudy talked to me about the effects of music on an audience, and how through careful planning, musicians manipulate an audience by creating the right emotional atmosphere. We talked about his transition from secular artist to Christian, and how the techniques of the world music scene are now influencing the church, by passing off emotional experiences as the anointing of God. Uh, Different types of music will give different types of emotions, for example if you're in
7: a stadium and you're playing a heavy rock track, 99.9.9% of the time people will be jumping up and down and clapping their hands. If you're playing uh, a more serious track that's atmospheric and stuff, you'll probably find that they're waving their arms in the air very slowly and so on, according to what type of track it is. Um, you'll also go to things like if you go to a classical concert, people will not be waving their arms up and down in the air, they will just sit in there and listen to it in a different way.
5: Right. Well, I went, I played for Motorhead for 12 years, professionally, and I went all over the world. We were in the world six times with the band, so I went everywhere. When we played all over the world, we could play in Japan, uh, we could play in Germany, we could play in Czechoslovakia, we would play in... Uh, Brazil, everybody in those countries all speak a different language and the uh, reaction that we got from that audience every time we played in all those countries is exactly the same, totally identical. They look the same, uh, they jump up and down the same way, they throw their arms up in the air the same way. No one can speak the same language in all of those countries but they all recognize them, the music, they all have that, they has an atmosphere about it that... Um, induces if you like the uh that reaction from the audience you know when i see a crowd at a christian concert and a crowd at a non-christian concert the reaction is pretty much the same they'll they'll behave the same way they'll stage dive the same way as they do at uh the stage dive at a christian concert the same as they would at a non-christian concert i believe they be, behave exactly identical
7: it is it is easy to get a crowd into an auto state of consciousness by the music you play and the particular types of music you play um, i.e. that when I've played with secular bands, professional secular bands we've been told to put music in certain orders in order to get the audience to do certain things at certain times of the concert like for instance we have a very powerful track at the beginning to get people emotionally high so that they're geared up for the rest of the concert so that you can go through and bring the less powerful numbers through and then you bring them up to a high again it's like a heartbeat where it's like a little pulse. It goes down, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, and at the end, it, it goes straight to the top from the particular style of music you do, i.e. the drums in the tracks dominate the way you are. If you have a soft drum part, then it's gonna make people more relaxed, and if you have a heavy drum part, it's gonna bring people up, and you'll find that they jump about, wave their arms in the air, you know, do the whole bit, and you'll find that the, the Christian Crusades, they're using particular songs in those Crusades and you find they're always the same type of particular songs um, to get the people to do certain things and the certain words that are used in those songs also are also suggestions to what is going to come later on in that Crusade, i.e. Um, come Holy Spirit, come uh, is a particular track they use a lot in these Crusades and it's all focusing on the Holy Spirit so people are expecting something to happen before it actually happens, it's already put in their mind in the, in the back of their mind, subconsciously. So when they actually say the Holy Spirit has come, and you're going to fall down, and so on, people expect that's going to happen to them, so they actually do what they think is going to happen.
0: Make sense? All manipulation. And notice he said it wasn't just manipulation for an emotional experience, right? I can make your emotions go up, I can make your emotions go down, I know how to do it in like a formula, in the exact order to manipulate you, and you think you're having a great... Experience. But he also says you can use it to what? Put people into an altered state of consciousness. Now, you don't understand, Pastor Bill. I went to this revival. I was at this church service, man, and we were singing, man, and it was for, you know, whatever, and I was crying, and I, it was real. That had to have been from God. No, it could have just been music just itself could have emotionally manipulated you into that state. And again, am I wrong? Is it, is it wrong? I don't know, you know. Is it illegal? Will a judgment of God fall upon you, fire from the sky, if you shed a tear here at sunrise while Rob is playing worship music? Only if it's in the key of G, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not anti-emotion, but that's not what we're talking about here. This is whooping up your emotions using music even itself as a manipulative tool. Even the secular people admit it, and they admit it. The same techniques are being used in the church to get you to think I'm having a spiritual encounter from God. No, you're not. Not necessarily. Okay? But again, that's just music itself. You combine the music with the same thing we saw the the Hindus do, right? With the jumping up and down, the swaying, the repetitive whatever, man, you you you're going to get into some sort of a spiritual state. And it doesn't mean It's from God. And again, when you take a look at this spiritual encounter, again, it's either what? What's the whole premise? Why am I spending time on this before we move forward? Not only to explain this, because it's already starting to come out. Well, you don't understand. You weren't there. I really felt this. All right? You got three options. I'd say biblically and logically, right? It's chicanery. It's a bunch of stage show. Number two, it's learned behavior. Sorry, peer pressure, you felt led to do it because you didn't want to be the only weirdo standing up, right? Or, yeah, I'm not saying you didn't have emotions. It doesn't mean those emotions were triggered by God. It could have been music manipulation or something else, whatever. Or, I'm not saying you didn't even feel something, quote, spiritually. It doesn't mean it's the spirit of God, right? And again, when you take a look at these carbon copy experiences, I'm not against worship time and services. We have our own. But that's not what's going on here. And again, typically when you go to these so-called revivals, when you go to uh, much of these uh, quote-unquote charismatic services, it is extremely low on this, on serious Bible study. And it's all about the music and the show and what follows afterwards. Okay? And so that's that's the issue. In fact, now, those who are into this, getting yourself into an altered state of consciousness in the, the Hinduism uh, again, with the, the mantras, the meditation, uh, yoga, what they're actually saying is, and this is something you need to consider, right? They admit that it isn't just you're unlocking this uh, kundalini. That's why you're experiencing all these, the jerking, the visions, the euphoria, or or you're kind of going off the deep end, right? Uh, it's not just unlocking the kundalini spirit, but that spirit is a, quote, snake spirit. And you are, quote, bowing before the serpent god. Who do you think that is? But here's what yogi masters admit that you're doing. Watch this.
8: Recently I returned to India and had the opportunity to interview yogis who train their followers through various physical and mental exercises and I questioned them about yoga's transformation. I also asked Indian experts if the practice of yoga consciousness could be separated from its Eastern spirituality and used as physical fitness only.
1: Dr. George Alexander, Associate Professor, author of Yoga, The Truth Behind the Posture.
9: Today, in the West, about 35 million Americans are into yoga, just seeing yoga as a physical fitness. Yoga is a Hindu word. Yoga is a Hindu discipline to become one with the universal consciousness which means become one with God. Which God? Brahma, the Hindu God. Dr.
1: Victor Chowdhury a leading cancer surgeon in India is also a well-known lecturer and author of many books.
3: The word yoga uh, in Hindi language means union. As simple as that. And the purpose of this uh, union is Uh, They think there is a power called kundalini in their spine, at the the base of their spine, which is a kind of coiled serpent. And the idea is when this uh, this union takes place, this serpent is uncoiled and then it travels into their minds and uh, releases the third eye. The third eye is, uh,
9: means the Shiva, the the god Shiva. In Hinduism, the serpent is a very prominent deity or uh, many people worship serpents. I have seen many snake temples or serpent temples in India. If you look at the picture of Lord Shiva in Hinduism, you see a snake wrapped around his neck. They believe that uh, the serpent power is in every person and the serpent power is sleeping in you. By practicing yoga, they awake that kundalini uh, power in you. Actually kundalini is the uh, is a name for a cobra. So when the kundalini power is awakened, that goes up to the brain and awaken the psychic power. When the spirit of kundalini is
3: uncoiled, there is a movement of body, serpent-like movement. So a lot of uh, original yoga uh, his serpent-like movement you can see that
8: I don't think we can separate yoga the practice of yoga from the spiritual uh, Into just a form of exercise because every form of the yoga movement derives from the serpent And and there's a root behind it. so when a person practice yoga he's actually Indirectly bowing down to the God of the serpent In most cultures, the serpent is seen as a positive creature and worshipped for its wisdom. Only in the Bible is the serpent described as the creator God's enemy, a usurper who wishes to take God's rightful place in the mind of mankind. In Hinduism, he is called the Kundalini and believed to be able to be awakened through yoga meditation and grant the practitioner an awareness of God a stillness, a God-consciousness.
0: Hmm. Well, it's a good thing nobody in the church is messing with yoga. I mean, it's bad enough you're doing the same practices with the jumping up and down, the music, and the repetitive movement and all that stuff, and unlocking the kundalini, and that's where your spiritual experiences come from. And yeah, I wish I was making that up. I'm just, here's just one headshot I've shared before. This is a, quote, church. And they're not only offering yoga classes, but again, they do the same thing the charismatic movement does. Remember? Oh, its I know it sounds weird to you, slain or drunk, but it's okay because it's in the spirit. Okay, I know this uncontrollable laughter rolling around on the ground looks kind of strange to you, but don't worry. It's holy laughter. Okay, I know yoga is straight out of Hinduism, right? And all this, but this is holy yoga. <laughs> again, Just because you call it holy, just because you say in the spirit, doesn't make it holy or spiritual, i.e. from God. This is a church. And you know on their website, they don't just offer that. Which, by the way, people say, well, I only do it for the exercise. Okay, that's nice. Okay, as you just heard the experts from India say, you cannot separate the two. Once you do this, you're going to get into that state of consciousness. It's going to happen. Oh, and by the way, I like to say, really, so you're just doing it for exercise. Mm, What happened to jumping jacks? Are those outdated now? Push-ups? Right? Why does it have to be something that even the people who invented this stuff says, it will lead you to a spiritual experience to unlock the kundalini you don't want to mess with? Of all things, why did you have to pick that one? And you know what's wrong. Why would you say, oh no, this is a uh, holy yoga. But it's one thing. You know what that website actually said? You know what they said? They're offering this class, it's not even just for, you know, just supposedly getting in shape. It, they said it's to help people and improve their relationship with Christ. What? You want to improve your relationship with Christ? Get right here. Get into his word, man. Become a disciple. That's what's going to improve it. Oh, no, no, no. Apparently this is old hat. We need to get full-blown Hinduism. So It's almost like the American church is turning Hindu. We're just trying to mask it with Christianese. And that's what's going on here. And again, that's what is going on with much of the similarities. And that's also why you will take a look at Carbon Copy when you take a look at the charismatic movement and their, quote, experiences, and you line them up with these guys. Again, signs and wonders. Let's take a look at their movement, what they say you and I are missing out on. We need to be a part of. Well, let's do a parallel. Here's signs and wonders, i.e., the charismatic movement. Here's Hinduism, New Age or Eastern mysticism meditation. And African spiritism. Let's see if you see a parallel here, right? They would say, hey, man, you can experience this slaying the spirit thing. Well, guess what? Every single one of those other ones experienced it too. What about electric shock? Well, they do the same thing, too, when you understand what's going on. How about physical jerks? Yep, they do the same thing. Animal sounds? Yep, they have that experience all the time. New revelation. Oh, yeah, they're full of that same stuff. Energy surge. Wow, that had to be been the Spirit of God. No, uh, they experience the same thing. A speech, the gibberish. Oh, those guys experienced it, too. Interesting. A uh, trance-like state. Oh, yeah, they go through the same thing. Visions. It's got to be from God. No, these guys experience so-called visions, too, when that kid and loony pops off their head. Uh, the laughter. <laughs> I just can't stop. Pastor Billy's joke was so funny. That's why I don't call them holy jokes. They are what they all are. I'm not going to try to mask it. It's not. Anyway, whatever. Let's move on. Yeah, I've experienced the same thing too. In fact, in close, I'm going to put you to the test, right? And I'm not making this up. This is a legitimate quote revival okay, meeting. And I'm going to read to you the experiences that these people who went to this revival meeting experienced, and you see if you can guess which revival meeting guy it was. Ready? Here's what they said. I uh, had experiences. I had visions. Experienced radiant light. Uh, uh, I, uh, the uh, leader at the revival touched my head, and I experienced power. Uh, also, uh, what I experienced sometimes, quote, I jumped up and hopped around like a frog. Sometimes my limbs would shake violently as though shaken by quote God. My body would writhe and twist like a snake while I I made a hissing sound that came from inside me. My neck moved so violently that it made loud cracking sounds. I quote, I roared so much that the cows nearby broke their ropes. I roared like a tiger, quote, I was slain in the spirit. I had fierce energy. I vibrated in this man's energy field. He threw out waves of power into the audience just with a gesture or a powerful gaze. Voltage was surging through me. My body was pulsating with energy. I laughed ecstatically. I wept with happiness. I had various physical manifestations, which included uncontrollable laughing, roaring, barking, hissing, crying, shaking. Some who attended became mute and unconscious. They, some felt infused with feelings of great joy, peace, and love. Other times, quote, the fire. Now, isn't that the phrase, receive the fire, the fire of God. Other times, the, quote, fire was so overwhelming that people had to literally cool themselves down. Now, whose revival meaning do you think that one is? Rodney? Rodney Howard Brown? Benny Hinn? Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson. Interesting. So we're basically we're talking about the charismatic movement, right? Ah, oh, this is better than a crackerjack surprise. <laughs> Boy, did I fool you guys. Guess what? It's this guy, Swami Muktananda. He is a Hindu kundalini yoga guru. And the attendees of his conferences, and I had a page of 50 plus pages of examples of behavior from Hindu gurus, because they, guess what? They hold revival meetings. And that's that guy. And can I tell you something? He's not only dead now, but he's not a Christian. See how easy it is to get fooled? It's carbon copy Hinduism, But you can't say that because it would get immediately rejected. But how slick of the enemy, man, especially in the last days. Get everybody away from the Word of God. Get them focused on it's all about the experience. And then bring in Hinduism, and they'll have an experience all right. But it ain't from God. And couch it all in Christianese, and away you go. And then build in some spiritual pride. (laughs) Look what I'm doing. And you're not, you lowly Christian you. And where does pride come from? What was the fall of Satan? Right? Pride. I will be like God. It's all about me. Pride. Right? Very, very slick. So that's to explain before we go any further with this aberrant behavior. Those are your three options. Chicanery, learned behavior. Or yeah, you might be experiencing something that means from God. Not even close. Lord willing, next time we're going to get into the next incredible behavior that's going on. And believe it or not, it's called grave sucking or soaking. And these people right now are being encouraged in the charismatic movement to literally lay on dead people's graves to suck up their anointing so they can have that anointing as well. Lord willing, we'll get into that one next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today... Are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the the ninth one says, You shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. uh, uh, Even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that's the same thing. uh, It's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what do we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God, both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us. That disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court. The gavel's been passed. The judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, You even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon Through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven.